Hey everybody, this is Tiffany Carlson and you're listening to No Free Rides, a wonderful podcast for people with disabilities sponsored by Easy Stand. Easy Stand makes some of the best standing frames in the world, so make sure you check them out at easystand.com. So hey everybody, uh, tonight is, well it's the eve before Halloween. Um, it's um, October 30th, 2013. Uh, it is our October podcast, and thank you so much for tuning in. I hope all of you out there are planning on going out for Halloween this year. Um, if you're not, shame on you. You're never too old to dress up. Um, I am a huge fan of Halloween. I'll be going as a gypsy fortune teller tomorrow. I thought that would be a good chair-related uh, costume. You can give fortunes from your chair like a gypsy would from a fortune-telling-like table. So anyways, um, there's not a lot going on over in this part of the world here in Minneapolis regarding uh, my life and if there's, I can't even think, is there anything new in the disability world lately? I'm kind of busy as you can tell, but today we have a podcast set up for all you guys that is featuring someone I'm pretty excited about. We've never had a poet on the show before. And so I decided to bring a poet on. His name is Travis Lawrence Knott. He's from a small town out in Washington, and he's 30. Um, and he's published, he has a book called The Virgin Journals um, about his life of celibacy through his 20s. Um, he has spinal muscular atrophy. So we'll be bringing him on here in a couple seconds. So hold on tight, and he'll be right on. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Tiffany. As I mentioned at the top of the show, um, we have our very first poet on the program. Um, there's not many poets around nowadays. and Maybe there is, and we just don't know about them, but we've not had one on the show yet, so very excited. And so without further ado, hello. Travis, how are you? Really good today, Tiffany. Thanks for... Uh Thanks for calling and including me on your program. Yeah. Well, I um, saw that you um, were, uh, want, well, you know, you wrote, I'm a writer for New Mobility Magazine, too, that people know that, and that's how I first found out about you, is we got an email about your book and stuff, and um, I was like, well, it'd be fun to talk with you, too, because um, I think it's always exciting to have artists on the show to really understand their craft. Well, thank you. I've done a lot of personal research uh, into poetry. I've never been classically trained, but it's one of my passions, and I, I wanted to be educated about what I'm passionate for, and I've jumped in with all four wheels. <laughs> so let's start from the beginning. Um, I always like to get a little bit of demographics, you know, from our guests when we first start out the interview. So why don't you just let us know where, you, where you're from, your age, that kind of thing, and your disability. Yeah, I am 30 years old from Washington State. I was born and raised in a town of less than 3,000 people called Goldendale, Washington, mm -hmm. which is somewhere between Yakima, Washington, and the Dalles, Oregon. Okay. Um, I, like I said, I'm 30 years old. My disability is spinal muscular atrophy, okay. which falls under the larger muscular dystrophy umbrella. And I was never able to even take a free step in life. So um, at 30, I've been a quadriplegic uh, at a progressive rate my entire life. And uh, thankfully, okay. the progression has allowed me to continue living. Right. And I think that for a lot of people out there listening, maybe they don't quite understand 
what spinal muscular atrophy is. It's a form of, like you said, a muscular dystrophy. It's, and do all forms of muscular dystrophy get progressed, are progressive? They are. Um, a lot of them are at various rates, and okay. the, the number one killer of uh, infants to toddlers in the United States is spinal muscular atrophy. Wow. Um, so you made so a pretty I got form. really, really lucky to make it past that. Uh, that fabulous. point in life, and uh, where I'm at today, nobody could have ever guessed. So is they the diagnosed me at 16 months. So is your prognosis good now that you've survived till 30? My prognosis is a continued progression. Um, every every stage in life is kind of met with new milestones, and for people who don't have a progressive disorder, those milestones are generally in a parabola. They ramp up into these really good things, mm -hmm. and then at some point in midlife, they'll start hitting the milestones on the back end. Right, um, okay. I started my back end milestones when I was in third or fourth grade, and have continued along them. Um, unfortunately, uh, early on in life, it was raising hand, mm -hmm. uh, raising my hand in class to answer questions that mm -hmm. stopped. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, I was no longer able to do that. Okay. Uh, feeding myself, I've not been able to raise food to my mouth for six or seven years now. Okay. Um, thankfully, I've got family members and friends. Uh, heck, I think even people who don't like me help me eat every now and then <laughs> want to see me waste away. Uh, that's a tough situation, I'll be honest with you. Right. So, um, why don't we, you know, but obviously you're a strong guy, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm strong-willed, and um, I bathe regularly, so I don't be strong-smelling, but I'm, <laughs> I'm a pretty strong guy. And, and I think that, I mean, I, you know, anything progressive especially takes, I think it really teaches you, your mind, how to cope well with things, right? It does, mm -hmm. and um, the way that I kind of cope with things are nothing is really happening. We don't really know anything what's going on. We can we can have some ideas about what's going on, mm -hmm. and I'm almost taking some words verbatim from an uncle of mine yeah. right now. But um, if we have ideas, they're allowed to form over time, and we're not rigid and we won't break if we only have ideas about things. So. I don't want to know anything because that might end up being false, and then I would break quicker. I like that. That's good. Your uncle's a smart guy. <laughs> you know, so this is so cool. And you're, I wanted to quick ask you, you know, your, your name, is it your pen name? Travis Lawrence Knott. Is that your full real name? That is my full real name. Oh, it's, um, it's a really nice name. Go ahead. I was just going to say, it's a very nice name. Thank you. One of the reasons I got into writing was to stop um, lying even to myself, and I figured the best way to, to not lie is to just be completely forward and honest with the world, so I gave the world my full name. That's great. Well, it sounds like uh, like you, you were born to be a poet because it sounds like a, a very prestigious name you'd see on a book or something. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, so, um, so Washington State, so you're from out there, and now... And so, you know, I was reading your backstory, and I know you went to school college-wise at Eastern Washington University, right? 
That is correct. Okay. And now, you did, you just said earlier, though, you didn't study poetry. So what did you study when you were at school? Yeah, I, uh, I got a degree in psychology. Okay. Um, okay. I, I came to Eastern with the idea of being a marine biologist. <laughs> yeah, I was going to be the guy that lived on a boat and <laughs> never saw land again, studied sharks. I was going to be that guy. <laughs> so I declared my biology major before I even took a class. <laughs> and it was terrible, absolutely disturbed my grade point average. Oh, no. Um, so a year later, I canceled out my bio major and went with psychology, and it worked out pretty well for that's me. That's good. That's good. So um, how did you end up in poetry then, you know? Yeah, I, uh, I entered poetry as a way to deal with those frustrations, those parts of my life that I didn't want to um, keep bottled up, but I didn't necessarily want to unload on an individual, a friend, mm -hmm. uh, so I would write them down sort of as a, a journal. So uh, um, as a, as a child did, or as a teenager, when did you start? Oh, I've been writing my entire life that I can remember, but um, poetry mostly once I got into college. Hmm. How it, now, how does it, someone just sit down and start writing poetry, though, you know? That's what I'm trying to get at. How did you decide, you know, I'm going to do poetry, this is what I'm going to do? I uh, actually, I was told by a very long dead individual, um, not in any weird supernatural way, I know it's Halloween, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I got interested in The Doors as a musical group, Awesome. and uh, Jim Morrison was their lead singer, had a, a couple of books of poetry out that when I got further into my interest of The Doors, I read his writing and realized that I was writing much the same way he was. So once I realized he was writing poetry, I was writing poetry. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't know I was writing poetry at all okay. until until Jim Morrison told me. So what exactly were the first things you you wrote? Yeah, one of the first things that I wrote uh, was just a two-line little description of me. And uh, it's just a, a quirky little thought that I had to get down on paper <laughs> and ended up published. Um, really? Ten, yeah, it's tender innocence wrapped in a certain wickedness, a lifetime of experience, yet kept in blessed ignorance. Mm. That's nice. Now I'm going to tell. So what is so what does that mean? So what's the great? So can you like um, since I'm not good at interpreting poems very well, you should let us know exactly the true meaning of of that. Exactly. Um, so the tender innocence wrapped in a certain wickedness. Mm -hmm. You and I were visiting before we started taping this mm -hmm. uh, about the content, what I could and could not say because mm -hmm. I've got a bit of a foul mouth. Mm -hmm. and so I'm not able to write uh, mm -hmm. or read you mm -hmm. a lot of what I've written because it contains four-letter words of all sorts. Mm -hmm. I don't discriminate against any swear word. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, so my tender innocence, mm -hmm. the outside, what your listeners are hearing uh, right now, is kind of innocence, but on on most days, it's wrapped in a very wicked uh, shell. Uh, a guy who's snarky and foul and fun. Don't get me wrong, I'm a fun guy. Oh yeah, I know. I I I think you know you're a lot of well, anyone that's snarky is usually pretty funny, and I love that. 
you have no problem just kind of saying it like it is through your poetry, you know. Were you afraid, you know, going down the route of, you know, maybe using four-letter words, what people would think of you, family, whatever? I was a little bit. Um, and, and both of my sets of grandparents um, absolutely have given me free reign to be open and honest because I'm not... I'm not being abusive in any of my poetry. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something that I'm doing for shock value. It's not something that I'm doing for negative intent. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm saying these things that, that many people find offensive in a very honest nature. Um, life is not rated PG, so I could not give my life away uh, or, or sell my life, as it were, Mm -hmm. um, honestly, without without using those words. Let's talk about some of the themes of your poetry. What would you? What are some of the reoccurring themes people find when reading your stuff? A lot of the reoccurring themes that people find when they read my stuff are are pent up anger and frustration. Mm -hmm. um, sort of what we talked about earlier. Why I started writing is that uh, I, I have these things that I don't want to put out onto the world on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So I use the, the words as an outlet. Um, and I try my darndest not to make angry poems. They're, mm -hmm. not, uh, they're not poems that are hateful or spiteful, but they're very, very edgy poems about specific things. Um, things that you want to do. To, to jump around. My inability to land a steady job because I can't pick up a phone um, mm -hmm. physically and, and run a paper up a flight of stairs. Uh, these things that I would have to make very doing. That's cool. I know. And so, you know, I think a lot of people write their own little personal journals about how life can be difficult, but it's great that you're putting it out there and sharing it with the world. Do you find it to be more cathartic sharing it with people other than just keeping it to yourself? Absolutely. And I wish that more people would do that as well. Um, there's a, a great community here in Spokane, Washington, where I live now, mm -hmm. that gets together uh, 30 or 40 poets a week, share uh, their words, their private lives with strangers and it, it's really helped the community uh their, their mindset mm -hmm. as well as the writing because we're all getting better with one another as writers so that's really exciting that's so cool that's so cool and you know it's really great is that you're published and you know and you have this book the the virgin the virgin journals now how how did that come about let's talk about that because that's really awesome that that's like your that's the main thing you have published right it is. Um, that was six years worth of late night rants um, <laughs> to myself. The, the rest of the house I live with, my parents um, and my little sister, out of, out of simplicity, out of not having to find somebody mm -hmm. to pay to help me 24 hours a day and, and out of their loving kindness. Um, but I needed that time when, when I was by myself. So Late at night, they would go to bed, and the house would be quiet, and uh, I would allow myself to dive within. Mm. And that's where the Virgin Journals came from. <laughs> it was 
it was six years worth of stuff that when I got out of graduate school, uh, my statute of limitations for my sports psychology master's degree had run out, so I was no longer able to write my thesis. The very next day, I decided to compile all of my own personal writings and see what I had. Wow. Emergent journals is what I had. Wow. That's so cool. So you decided to put them together and shop it around, or how did you find a publisher? Shopping it around uh, is the perfect way of saying exactly what I did. I, I knocked on many electronic doors. <laughs> um, and it's actually funny, even funnier, because I got ridiculously lucky. Uh, because the very first publisher I sent it to was the one who said, yes, we will publish you. What? Uh, they, I know. I still can't believe how lucky I was wow. to find ASD Publishing, um, who is just now switching to ASD Media. But um, cool. they weren't able to pay me uh, any advance, and they told me uh, that they encouraged me to shop it around more. So for three months after they said yes, I tried to find somebody who would pay me up front. Mm -hmm. and got no at every turn. Oh, no. Back to ASD, uh, who was still gracious enough to, to say yes, and they put my words out for me. So did you ever get paid at all? I get paid royalties, and uh, I get paid... Uh, I get to purchase copies of the Virgin Journals at half price, so at um, printer price. Very cool. Sell them on my own. That's great. And how many have you sold, would you say? It's been out for about 18 months, and I'm just just around or just over a thousand copies that's sold. That's so great. Wow, that's a huge accomplishment, you know. Poetry, do you find that there's still a lot of uh, desire out there for people that want to read poetry? Like, what's the demand like? Yeah, the demand is kind of a, an odd one because people claim to not want poetry. They don't want to seek it out as a genre, mm -hmm. but when they hear it or or encounter it, they fall in love with it. <laughs> so I don't know if poetry is the girl next door. <laughs> it's just so accessible that maybe you forget about her. I love or that. If she's the seductive one who mm -hmm. uh, just creeps around the corner and, and <laughs> takes takes a person under her spell at her own whim. I love it. I love. It. I think that's probably true because a lot of us have bad memories of trying to learn poetry in high school and and just not enjoying it. And maybe coming back to it as an adult, people can learn to kind of love it all over again. You know, it's kind of like having. I think so, and I hope so. It's kind of like having going back to your high school reunion and seeing that person you didn't like before, and then all of a sudden you like it, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, after high school, I think we all mature a bit and mm -hmm. change and uh, wish we would have taken a little better note of <laughs> some of the people that we didn't while we were there. I know. And that's what I think, too, with poetry. It's the same thing. You know, I think if I bought a poetry book, I would probably fall in love with it. And I, I haven't, I don't think I've done that in years. And me talking to you now has totally inspired me to kind of get back into poetry. You know, I think it's. It's beautiful. You know, what? who's your favorite poet? My favorite poet, um, other than Jim Morrison, mm -hmm. uh, would be Walt Whitman. He's 
uh, a classic case of nonconformity, mm-hmm. and I, I definitely have uh, a bit of nonconformist in me. Mm-hmm. I screw up my line lengths and use wimpy words, use words that have no no place in academia, mm-hmm. but at the same time, uh, they're what want to be put on the page. Mm, it's all about Walt expression. Whitman has helped me to learn that that's okay. Are you a fan of rhyming in your poetry ever? I do some, but um, I'm not primarily a rhymer. Mm-hmm. I know I know a couple of excellent rhymers mm-hmm. and a lot of really bad rhymers. Are, limer- I, are, are limericks too hard? I would be bad. Are limericks the same as a like a, a poem? A limerick is a poem. Yeah. Okay, okay, and that's a rhyming poem, right? Most of the time, it is an often dirty rhyming poem. <laughs> no, I love limericks. They're so fun. <laughs> Oh, it's so cool. Yeah, we won't talk about the man from Nantucket. I promise your audience. <laughs> but look it up if you're interested, right? Exactly. What should they Look go- it up if you want to scare somebody. Look it's fun. <laughs> the, the man from Nantucket, yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, so, you know, a lot of, like you were saying, you know, your, your, your frustration is life, you know, not being able to do a lot of things. I mean, people out there listening, no matter their disability, can relate somewhat to that and wanting to write your frustrations down and now that you're 30 and you know have you have you been able to date and stuff now that you've put yourself out there and like you know told the world hey i want to meet you know how's that gone for you right uh well first the title let's just tackle the title yes uh the virgin journals that's that's definitely a double entendre yeah Um, it was the idea that these were my first works that I'm unveiling for the world, but um, I am the virgin who was journaling. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's that's still um, something that well, and not even still so much as will always be something that uh, is a part of me not being a sexually active person. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as dating goes, I date pretty frequently. Good. Um, go out with um, a number of, of female friends, um, and, the, and the trick of dating is never knowing, knowing if you're on a date or you're out your I know, you never know. Well, sometimes you got to make that clear before you go out, though. Exactly, and, uh, and I've done that um, my entire life to, to some people, and with others I've uh, thought I've made it clear, and then end up going out with her and her boyfriend. Oh no, it's the worst. Yeah. Well, I always have, on my podcast, I don't know if you've listened to some of them, but we do talk about dating a lot, and that's why I'm kind of asking about it. I I know everyone's got their own, you know, ways of going about things, but would you like to find a girlfriend one day, or are you doing internet dating? I would like to find a girlfriend um, one day about six years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's an active search of mine. Internet dating is an odd thing to me because it costs money. Mm. I'm already being told no for free. <laughs> I don't know if I want to pay to be told no. Um, recently, I, <laughs> I've stopped myself from joining uh, Match.com uh, at, at the subscription <laughs> point. I, I, you know, I've got my profile done and... Uh, it says enter your credit card information 
and I just can't do that. Why don't you join the free sites? There's two really good ones. Is there really? See, this is why I needed to, to visit with you. Yeah. Tell yeah. me, please. Okay, OKCupid, all one word, OKCupid.com. Good to know. And Plenty of Fish, POF.com. Okay, see, I'm a, I'm a fisherman as well. I'm an outdoorsy guy. Yeah, you can go fishing on plentyoffish.com. This is what I'm here for. <laughs> you need to check those out because you do not have to pay a cent to talk to girls on these sites. And I'm on there too. I'm single too. I'm trying to find someone. It's a, it's a battlefield out there. I'm telling you what, it is. dating is uh, exhausting. <laughs> It is. It's an awkward situation for uh, for everybody. I don't care, able-bodied, disabled. Uh, shoot, I think God would probably have an issue because there would be a woman out there that called him too bossy. <laughs> if God were a woman, there would be a man that said, "You're just too big for me." <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that true? Let me tell you why. I know that. So, would you live with your family then, since you've your your disability, or how do you live over there in Washington? Yeah, I, uh, I'm actually sitting in my third of our triple-wide house. Nice. Um, yeah, we've got it set up to where I've got about 45 by 12 feet uh, separated by an archway um, within itself. So I've got two full rooms all to myself, and uh, my family is available at, uh, at my need for restroom assistance, um, for, you know, traveling, we've got my, my white man with a wheelchair lift. Awesome. And, uh, I call it my white chariot. <laughs> yeah. Do you have PCA no. services through the state? What was that? Do you have caregivers um, through this, the state? The state has uh, qualified my mom to be my full-time Oh, that's writer. awesome. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good situation because uh, the number of hours that I would qualify for, even if I didn't live with my care provider, uh, would not cover me full time. Oh, right. So. And you need that. I would be, yeah, it's, it's a really, uh, it's a pitfall problem of the state system, but I don't, I don't have any good ways around it, so mm -hmm. I just accept it for what it is. Well, thank God for family and that your family is so awesome, so that's great. Yeah. So what else do you do out I, there in Washington? About it. <laughs> so you're living in a small town, right? I am. Right now, It's uh, I live in Cheney, Washington, which is about 12 miles outside of Spokane. Okay. Uh, Spokane is the biggest city between where you're at in Minneapolis and Seattle. Oh, cool. Yeah, so there's there's quite a quite an area, I think there's about 650,000 people in mm. our metro area. Oh, nice. So, and um, is there a lot to do? Like, what do you do in that, out in that part of the state for as a wheelchair user to have fun? What, what's to do out there? Yeah, I, uh, I am a huge sports guy, and okay. Spokane is blessed to have a lot of sports all the time. Ooh, like what kind? I spent 10 years working with the Eastern Washington University men's basketball team. Oh, basketball, cool. Yeah, so 
Uh, Eastern is a Division One college, so we were at the upper level of, uh, of the competition. And in the 10 years that I was with them, got the opportunity to work with a future NBA player while he was here, um, Rodney Stuckey, who's now for the Detroit Pistons. Cool, yeah, I've heard of him before, yeah. Yeah, and then before he was at Eastern, uh, in the third year that I worked here, uh, we got to go to the NCAA tournament, so. Oh my God, I bet that was a blast. And oh, it, it was incredible. And you're like the wheelchair guy, right? But everyone just loves you, of course. It was it was <laughs> one of the weirdest things ever, um, because I thought that yeah. that everyone loved me. Uh, the year before we went to the NCAA tournament, there was a player on our team who was trying to qualify for the dunk contest, mm -hmm. and ESPN had agreed to air footage of his dunks. Um, so we were filming a, a promo video for that, and he offered to jump over me. What? Uh, this player's name is Chris Hester, a uh, wonderful guy, and so he jumped over me on video. <laughs> the kid was like, oh yeah, he was six foot three, uh, and I'm, I'm about four foot even to the top of my head. Oh no. I promise you that he put his toes eight inches above me, <laughs> and he was way up in the air, dunked it, they sent it in to ESPN, and ESPN was um, offended What? that they had the player jumping over the man in the wheelchair. Why would that be offensive? So what? That is, they just don't know what's funny. They have no idea. That's they, so stupid. People would have loved to have seen that. Oh, gosh. Are you, yeah. So that video mm -hmm. is floating around. Uh, I think on videotape because it was before DVD came to Eastern Washington. Okay, uh, that's so funny. Uh, Jeez, do you miss those days of coaching? I, I really do, especially this time of year. It's uh, mm -hmm. the season's just getting underway all across the nation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the connections. Um, it, it's weird being physically disabled uh, to have connections with these guys who use their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, for their living, that's that's what they do, and they're the most elite, athletically refined individuals in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I turn into a little kid around them, and they turn into a little kid around me. Why? <laughs> oh, we would have them right on the back of my chair. I mm -hmm. know that manufacturers really don't like that. No, I do that too. Yeah. Oh, but when they're six foot ten and three hundred pounds, <laughs> and you're throwing it around. I love it. I love that. And couldn't you still volunteer and hang out? Or? I could. I did that for 10 years. Uh, worked my way up to being an administrative assistant. I worked under three different coaching staffs. That's awesome. And Eastern is a very small university, uh, lacking funds, mm -hmm. as many state universities are. So for 10 years, I was a volunteer. That's cool. And I decided that I had to I had to do something for me. Right. Now, that's so very that, true. That's when I entered poetry and learned very quickly that poets make even less money than volunteers. <laughs> oh, man. That's, well, at least... That's you, a joke. That's <laughs> <laughs> at least you're doing what you love, though. Exactly. And I'm staying very busy to get back to what's in Spokane. Um, 
we recently hosted the World Championships of Poetry Slam. And that meant that about 200 poets from Canada, the U.S., and I believe there were some poets from Mexico as well. Wow. So a poetry... Yeah, came to Spokane. So now, a poetry slam, what exactly is that? A poetry slam uh, is a competition that was created in the 1980s by a guy named Mark Smith. Cool. And I left a pause there for anybody around the world to yell, so what? Because whenever his name is mentioned, we're supposed to uh, <laughs> deny that poetry is, uh, one man is bigger than poetry. That's maybe <laughs> saying, so what is, no one man is bigger than poetry. <laughs> okay, okay. And writers have three minutes to perform their individual material, and then they're given a score for that material. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so, yeah, and the audience gets to judge, gets to give them their score, and eventually, by the end of the year, every year, um, the nation has crowned a new Poetry Slam champion. Wow, and so have you ever won any of those? I've won a couple of the local versions. I'm very active in the local scene. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I was one of the five or six venue managing uh, volunteers during the, the championship, so I got to meet a lot of excellent people who are doing excellent things. Cool. And uh, hopefully next year I will compete on the national level. What What is it? Were you nervous uh, doing it in public ever because of your disability or no? My disability never even enters my brain on a public performance stage. Um, wow, great. I've mm. got some, yeah, I've got some frustrations surrounding my inability to be as active when I'm on stage right. because of my disability, but uh, I don't mind at all sitting in front of somebody because generally my words um, will catch somebody off guard quick enough uh, right off the bat that they stop listening to me as a, a disabled man and start listening to me as a man who happens to be disabled. Right, that happens to be, and that's a huge difference right there. Yes. Mm -hmm. It is, and I always love when people get to that point, don't you? Oh, it's incredible, and I've got some tricks to get them to that point much quicker, but again, we're on uh, nice talking time right now, and I won't say it. Oh, yeah, I want to hear them, though. Dang it. Aww. And, uh, yeah, it, some of them are anatomical. Okay. Refer to parts on people's bodies in passing, uh, just drop them in conversation, mm -hmm. it will make somebody fall over laughing because uh, <laughs> they didn't expect me to say it. So. so the trick is to be funny. The trick is, you know, humor is a, a huge trick. Um, and it's not even a trick so much as a, a learned skill because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think a person can teach themselves to be more approachable and to be less offensive and to be less scared yeah. by culture and society and that really helps to be uh, at least trying to be funny. Oh, it does. People, humans melt when humor is, is, is produced. It's true. Mm -hmm. And I think too with disabilities it's one of the biggest ways for the people just to, you're right, just not see the wheelchair and to see us as humans. It's funny. Uh, you know, you can look really hot and maybe they'll overlook your disability then or you can be really funny. <laughs> it's one or the other. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, when you've got the, 
combination of them, Tiffany, like you do. Oh, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. you know, way that you're still single. Come yeah. on now. <laughs> you're so adorable. You're nice. You know, I always tell people that, you know, it's I'm still in a wheelchair. It does not matter. It is still difficult to meet people. It always is. That's right. It's always difficult. Um, I, you know, I could be a T12 paraplegic and I would still have issues. For many people, I believe this that they just can't get over the wheelchair and that's just okay um and then there's a lot of people that are okay with it and it's a, it's a, it's a it's just more of a search it's a longer search and i'm very picky and i'm picky though too i i run into lots of guys that approach me on these sites and they'll send me a messages but you know there a lot of them are just not intelligent they misspell words like i want to get to know you and they spell it no you know like i'm a writer oh no yeah i don't I could, me that. no this is bad and it really it makes it it's a little so i'm picky i could have gone on probably lots of dates i've been single for a few months you know but I'm, i dated this one guy uh for about a month after i was single and he ended up not liking me because i'm a little bit sassy and some guys can't handle that so um but that's okay you know you just gotta really have a thick skin you know you gotta be who you are no matter what and as a wheelchair user, it's, I don't know if you have this too, you're like, well, gosh, I, I got to be extra nice and extra sweet so people want to talk to me and whatever, whatever, and then you just got to be who you are, you know, and of course you got to be nice, but I'm not going to try to be Miss, Miss Little Sweet Thing to have guys like me, you know, you just got to be yourself, and that's okay, I, you know, I'm 34 now, I, I probably, I thought I would be married with kids at this point in my life, but I think God has other plans in store for me, and I know writing and doing what I'm doing right now with you is really my purpose. I don't think I was made to have a family and <laughs> have 10 kids. That wasn't my purpose in this lifetime, and I'm totally okay with that, though, you know? That's awfully, awfully big of you to be able to come to grips um, on a personal level with some of those things, because I think even at 30, um, I'm, I'm beginning to accept that there will be things that I want mm -hmm. that I won't get, things that have been like major goals mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I, I might not achieve, mm -hmm. but there's always the, the reset button in my mind that um, those are what I, I need. Yeah. And when, when a person is able to understand that they don't need what they think they need, yeah. Yeah. Need is a huge word. Mm -hmm. Need means survival. Um, yeah. We don't need very much You're in right. this world. So mm -mm. congratulations Thank on you. recognizing. Thank you. I know. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely it's a long road. I think for me it's been 20 years of being paralyzed, of having a lot of disappointments and learning to live with disappointment and learning to be grateful for what you still have and to take that kind of mindset. And... To not um to be desperate though, but still to be happy, but just to be okay with just not having things. And a lot of people, you know, as you know, that they still have they have everything and they're still not happy. And uh, you know, their car is maybe the nicest newest car, but they have a perfectly working body. They got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and they got a great job, and people aren't happy. And it's just kind of it's, and I'm around people like that a lot, so it's easy for me to put things in perspective that way quite easy, but I think a lot of people with disabilities have a lot of work yet to do in that area, and, you know, and they get depressed, but it's hard to get to this point, isn't it? I mean, you've been doing it longer than me, even, I mean, so you know exactly what it's like, but, yeah, it's tough. It's, 
one of those things and kind of kind of about the poetry that mm-hmm. um, I think is an avenue like you said at the top of the show there's not many poets um, in, in my world I've recognized that pretty much everybody is a poet but I think what's kind of missing in poetry right now in the disabled community is the fact that not many of us are speaking out as publicly as we should um, yeah, yeah. I think that poetry is a great venue writing is a great way Mm-hmm. to speak out and have a voice heard because those words are two-dimensional. I don't care who writes them. Mm-hmm. They're not mm-hmm. uh, jumping rope while they're being read. They're, um, they're allowing the reader to gain an insight into a life that they haven't ever considered before. Yep. And there's a huge readership uh, that's, that's excited to learn these things that they might not have considered before. Mm-hmm. So if the the disabled community at large can kind of put that pen to paper, put their um, mm-hmm. efforts into being heard that way. I, I think there's an avenue there. Absolutely. And it's people are becoming more comfortable, I think. People with disabilities are. I constantly see new people on YouTube with new channels doing This Is My Life in a Wheelchair, kind of showing the world what their lives are like. And people you know, are always starting blogs and stuff, and it's getting better. But um, there definitely could be more, you know, but it's good. I think whenever we can try to show the able-bodied world what, you know, what other, you know, perspectives are like, and hopefully they'll listen, that's always the thing. But it's good, you know, yeah. So. And one of the ways to do that uh, is to maybe not even talk about the disability at times. Because the disability is, is... part of the foundational, but um, it doesn't affect world views. It doesn't affect um, ridiculousness. One of one of the very short poems. It's a five-point list from my book, The Virgin Journals. Is uh, it starts out rainbow-colored horses' hooves on stallions of stone. <laughs> yeah, I, to, I like it. Seriously, there are people that yeah ride horses all day long and we just think. Stallions of stone, rainbow-colored horses. That's what you're talking about. <laughs> four, four points later, I talk about Chewbacca loving an Italian woman in the park. <laughs> They're abstract images that can come into anybody's brain. They totally just happen to come into mine. <laughs> and people probably go, "What are you smoking?" <laughs> they may or may not ask that, and I plead the fifth. <laughs> which you should. Which you should. So I was looking at your Facebook page for your author page, and it looks like, are you working on a new novel right now? I recently wrote uh, my first draft of my first novel, yeah. Wow. And yep. how, how you wrote it really quickly, right? I did. Um, one of my favorite writers, uh, he generally writes novels or wrote novels, was Jack Kerouac. <laughs> and the movie On the Road came out recently. Mm-hmm. The movie was terrible, but the book is arguably one of the top five American pieces of literature. Yeah. And uh, he wrote On the Road in 11 days. What? No. Yeah. No, seriously. Wow. Wow. Wrote wow. Other, other of his books in three, five, seven, and nine days. I mean, he just, uh, he sat down with the idea to write books. So he wrote a book. Wow, that's yeah. insane. He must be a very fast typer, or he was. Exactly, exactly. 
And uh, so I've tried to write novels in the past and could never carry an idea for longer than a poem's length on a page and then come back to it the next day. I, I couldn't do that. So I realized if I was ever going to do this, I had to just push through. Yeah. And, uh, and I pushed through 51,000 words, which is about 180 pages, uh, in 29 days. Oh my gosh. Now you use voice activation software, obviously. What kind do you use? I recently upgraded to Dragon Dictate. And, it, well, and it, so how um, fast can you, can you get? Like how many words a minute? I can go for between 80 and 100 words a minute. I often think while I type or else I could probably go faster. Right, yeah, I do the same thing when I'm on my headset too. A little pause and stuff. That's crazy. So how did it feel turning that much stuff out in that short amount of time? It was awesome. It was a completely uh, fictional work. Um, okay, yeah, wait, what's so it about? I, yeah. did, I didn't have to deal with my own life at all for 30 days. <laughs> yeah. By the end of the 30 days, I was excited to get back to poetry, um, but I was, uh, I was really excited to dive into this other world, and I didn't tell anybody what it was about while I was writing it, okay. because I didn't, I didn't want to allow anybody else in that space. <laughs> Well, can you to carry expectations. Well, can you give us a, a synopsis? I can. It's uh, it's a story of diverging uh, paths. Okay. There is a married couple who is on vacation, and they end up accidentally killing a guy. Oh. Ooh. The guy who they kill is friends with an 18-year-old boy and his mother. Okay. And so. The book goes, um, it follows the married man, or the, the married couple, and the boy and his mother uh, across the nation on two different journeys, and then they end up back at the, at the same point at the end of the novel, kind of crashing back together. Whoa, so is it more of a, a drama or a mystery? More of a drama. Because we know who all the players are okay. very early in the book, okay. um, and there, there's some elements of uh, not knowing what's going to be next, so maybe some mystery, but mostly a drama. Awesome. Now, I like a good drama book like that. It can be a little bit, you know, it pulls your heartstrings sometimes, like, oh, do I really want to get into a sad story, but I did, did, was it all, do you feel like you ever want to write something really happy, or do you feel like with you know your frustrations, you get more drawn to sadder nonfiction or sadder fiction, fictional stories? I prefer um, I prefer real life stuff. Okay. I I like a mix of happy, a mix of sad. Yeah. I feel like uh, even though I say that the theme is my frustrations through my poetry, um, there's there's the flip side of it. There's a desire that's very apparent. Um, to be happy, to be on the bright side of things, um, because everybody, everybody wants and pushes toward better, or at least mm -hmm. uh, I like to think that everybody's pushing towards better. And Most people, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so that's what I like. I like to write more toward the better for me. That's awesome. Uh, Halloween is, is wonderful for me and 
Stephen King is one of my favorite writers. Oh, me too. Love him. Yeah. Oh, he's wonderful, isn't he? Oh my God, he's amazing, 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 continually amazing since the seventies. I mean, he's nonstop, really. And the reason that he's so amazing is that the horror, the scariness that drives his book, generally stems from the personalities of his characters. Right. It's not the it's not the evil clown that we're scared of. It's the way that those characters are are trying to push one another toward the evil clown oh, rather yeah. than face their own demons. Yeah, you're right. See, you know, Stephen King is brilliant. I, 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 I what did you think of the 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 thing on TV? This the TV show that was just out with the bubble over everybody, and then they were stuck <laughs> under the dome. Under the dome. That's a Stephen King novel, right? Or a novel? It was like a story and a and a short story. Oh, it is. <laughs> that darn thing. Here's a, here's a cool thing. I don't know how many people have ever done this. A book that was so big I couldn't actually get my hand to turn the page because it was so thick. Yeah. So what I took to doing was unbinding the book <laughs> and then hole punching it and taking smaller sections in a binder. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Did it work out okay, though? It worked out wonderfully. I've read three or four books that way. Oh, my God. That's pretty smart, actually. Yeah, it's, all credit goes to my mom on that one. So do you prefer paper books still, even though, you know, it's hard for you? I do prefer paper books. Okay. I, uh, I don't own an e-reader. I like to feel the book, the page, um, even though some people, I can feel them watching me while I'm at Starbucks and hurting for me, wanting to come over and turn the page for me, <laughs> but I enjoy that struggle a little yeah. bit because it, it puts me more in what I'm doing. I agree completely. So you can move your arm somewhat, but just not completely that well. Exactly. Right. I, uh, I'm still able to drive my own chair. Okay, good. Um, so you can, yeah. For the most part, unless um, unless I'm fatigued for whatever reason or inebriated for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to be going out tomorrow for Halloween? I am. I am. I've got uh, a get-up that I put together for one of the poetry slams mm. based on Rocky Horror Picture Show. Are you going to be the professor? I am. I, I, I've never actually seen the movie. Oh, because he's at the end with the with the with the towel with the blanket on his lap. Uh, well, I, I'm going to be wearing a little more than a blanket, you know. Uh, oh well, he's wearing a suit and a blanket. What are you wearing? Oh, that's hysterical. Uh, I'm, I'm wearing the string of pearls with the glittery outfit. Oh my God, that's awesome! I love that. Yeah. See. Takes a strong man to wear that. I just wrote an article right before this podcast on two really funny wheelchair costumes. I found one was an electric chair, like for death row, and he made his wheelchair look like an electric chair, and he was the inmate in the chair, and they have this little switch and the little firecrackers on his head, so when they hit it, it looks like he's being electrocuted. Hysterical. And then I saw another costume of a guy dressed like a big disco ball, and he just spins his chair around in circles on the dance floor. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, the costume I went as um, two years ago absolutely has to be my favorite one that I've ever done. Uh, I created my own backstory and went as a Dexter victim. Oh my god, how brilliant. I, uh, I was the caffeine killer. <laughs> and 
I had pictures of uh, women friends of mine that they said they wouldn't have minded being one of my victims. <laughs> so I hung pictures off of me and uh, a dear friend of mine wrapped me in plastic and stabbed the knife through my chest. Oh my God. That's the greatest idea I've heard for in a long time. Do you have any co pictures of that costume? I do. Uh, they're on they're on one of my Facebook pages. Oh my gosh. Uh, I should probably put them on my author page as well. I would say you should for Halloween. People will love to see that. Exactly. I know. Oh uh, I can God. post the backstory. Totally. It's so great. You love Dexter. What did you think of the ending before we finish up here? Yeah, I was um, uh, a little disappointed Me too. that it was done the way it was done, but um, they found a finale that they felt comfortable with, and I, I don't think they ruined the show for me, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that's good, just not quite what I would have done. Yeah, I was hoping for a, li a little bit more something bigger, I guess, but that was it, that was it. It's kind of sad. I really liked Dexter. It was, it's hard to see that show go away, so... But anyways, so what are your... Before I let you go here, um, Travis, what are some of your future writing goals? Yeah, my future writing goals are to get uh, another paperback version of my poetry, uh, some of my more recent stuff on the market, and I would really like to um, get my novel published. Awesome. Maybe not the one that I already wrote, but mm -hmm. um, I might have to dive in and do more of a serious uh, false autobiography, kind of about my situation and okay. put me... Uh, in a life that maybe I would like a little more <laughs> on the, the surface level, but uh, in that book I will be uh, I will be just as frustrated for other reasons because if there's one thing that's certain about life is when we get one thing we want, four more things that we want pop up. Oh God, that's a great idea for a book. Yeah, good idea. Love it. Well, I think you know. Hopefully you'll get you'll make it big one day, right? I would love to see you like get like sell a book like big time. That would be very very cool. So it's the goal, and I am mm -hmm. uh, I am gonna tour uh, Washington State next May with my poetry. Uh, I've got featured readings set up in uh, four cities, so that's exciting. And if I'm ever able to find somebody to go, you know, driving around the country, mm -hmm. uh, Minneapolis is a huge slam poetry community and oh, really? I, I will definitely look you up if I'm ever in Minneapolis. Absolutely you should. I would love to meet, meet you and we can hang out and you could take me to a poetry slam because uh, I think that would be really great. So absolutely, let's do that. I know, um, super great. Well, you know, it was awesome speaking with you. I, I love that you're, you're sticking with it even though, you know, it's a tough field to do. I think the world needs more poets, so uh, keep doing your thing, Travis. It's beautiful. And for people out there that want to read your stuff that you couldn't read on the podcast, where can they find it? Yeah, The Virgin Journals is available on all the bookselling websites, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Indie.com, I think, is another one. Okay. Um, I also have a blog, notapoet.com. Awesome. Uh, spelled like my last name, N-A-U-G-H-P, right. poet. Uh, I'm on Twitter, and that's where I'm generally the dirtiest, <laughs> at not a poet. Ooh. I'm also on Facebook with the, the author page, uh, facebook.com slash 
Travis Lawrence Knott. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Awesome. So everyone out there, check them out. So thank you again, Travis. Um, let me know when you're heading to Minneapolis. We'll meet up, okay? All right, Tiffany. Thank you very much. Yeah, happy Halloween. Yes, ma'am. All right. See ya.